0: And welcome to the Living Stone, a digital ministry of Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm Annabeth Cross, associate minister for students and digital discipleship here at Greystone. And today, I'm joined by our senior pastor, Chrissy Tatum Williamson. Hello. Today, we're beginning a new series on the podcast for this Lenten season. Over the next several weeks, we will engage with our Lent theme, seeking honest questions for deeper faith by a sanctified art. We'll be asking honest questions here on the podcast. Each episode will be centered around one main question to guide our conversation, questions asked by members of our own congregation, from our youth and children to our senior adults and everywhere in between. Today's main question that we're going to focus on and discuss is what is the Bible? So we're going back to the basics, um, but also asking some really important questions about what, what the Bible is and how we engage with it and live with it. So first, Chrissy's going to share her story and her relationship, kind of a DTR of her, <laughs> of um, her view on the Bible, her relationship with the Bible from your life. What, what does that look like for you?
1: Awesome. First, I have to say, I love the um, the DTR with the Bible because I don't know about you, but like at Furman, when I was in school, everybody always knew when a couple was getting really serious oh. because they would like walk around the lake and they would yeah. have their DTR at the bell tower to find the relationship.
0: Baylor's was on the Baylor swings on the quads, so <laughs> the green and gold swings that we had. Yeah. I or love it. Or at Common Grounds, the coffee shop across the street. You knew a DTR was happening for sure. I <laughs> love it. So like, I'm
1: imagining myself like, okay, so you all are not in the room with us right now, but I did bring three very large... Bibles with me because I couldn't imagine having a conversation about what is the Bible um, without my three kind of signature Bibles or my go-to Bibles. Um, So I was imagining myself like lugging them around the lake at Furman to have a conversation (laughs) with them under the bell tower. Um, So my relationship with the Bible, what is the Bible um, for me? I grew up in Southern Baptist churches um, and in a, a, a Southern Baptist family, probably not um, because we intentionally were so, but just because we lived in the South and we were Baptist and that's what the option was um, in the early 80s. And so um, the Bible obviously was central to our faith. Um, Everybody brought their Bibles with them to church. Um, Most of us had like fancy zipper cases where we like (laughs) stored our notes and bulletins and our highlighters, (laughs) yeah, all the things um, so that we could carry everything that we needed for church. And, um, you know, it was really... A, a wonderful thing, honestly. Um, I was in Bible drill growing up, so that I had to saying. memorize.
0: <laughs> Went to all the competitions.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, my favorite one was when somebody pulled the fire alarm and we all had to oh. go outside, right? And so I was really <laughs> nervous that I was going to forget the things that I'd crammed for, um, but there were definitely people who were quizzing and cramming during the fire alarm. I'm not sure it was an accident. <laughs> anyway, um, so at a really young age, I learned that the Bible was something to be cherished, to be respected, to um, to know uh, you know, to memorize and um, and to seek out um, in times of joy and stress and sorrow, but to find kind of words of consolation and comfort and direction. Um, so I loved the Bible growing up. Um, I still really love the Bible, um, but my relationship with it has changed a lot over the years. Um, probably until mid-college, I, I, really, I really, really believed and would say out loud, you know, the, if the Bible says it, I believe it. And that was not with any kind of, you know, criticism or um, uh, academic knowledge about how the Bible came to be. It was just kind of a surface level, you know, if the Bible says it, then I believe it. And that went from everything from like the story of Jonah, you know, if the Bible says that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, then Jonah was swallowed by a whale, hard stop, to like women need to keep quiet in church. Hard stop mm-hmm. if it says it. I believe it. I'm sorry, it's not convenient for me. Um, so it wasn't until seminary or divinity school where I started acquiring the tools to understand the Bible differently. And at that moment, um, I, there was definitely a, a season where the Bible and I were you know on a break um, yeah. to, <laughs> to our friends uh, watchers, yes. um, uh, but not totally broken up. You know, just yeah. <laughs> just taking a little breather um, and and then. I came back to it, uh, with a renewed love and respect, um, in a way that makes the Bible still a very part, a a very important part of my life. Like I, I I hope that if you hear a sermon, you will find that it is rooted in the Bible because that's what I do, (laughs) what I try to do. Um, but you know, I, that maybe I should stop there. Um, so currently the Bible and I are on good terms. Um, I can speak from one side of that relationship,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, I find it life-giving, intriguing, um, and I, I love to wrestle and argue and feel discomforted and comforted in the words of Scripture. So that
0: is, that, that's how it's going with me in the Bible mm-hmm. these days. How about with you? Yeah, I think I have a pretty similar story of being in... Baptist churches in the South, whether they were explicitly Southern Baptist or not, but, you know, Sunday nights, we had Bible drill from the, I don't know how old I was, I guess, like second through fifth grade, Mm -hmm. and we did all the things, and you memorized it, and you got gold stars in Sunday school for memorizing your Bible verse over the week, or whatever it was, um, and I had a pretty, and just the way my brain works, I was always a math and science minded person, mm-hmm. and in school, which is funny now because I don't do either of those things in my job. <laughs> um, and I, so you know, I took like like anything I read, the Bible or not, like I took things pretty literally. Yeah, um, and I really struggled with, and I still do, of not just like taking everything I having to interpret things for myself that I read. I've always struggled with like just in taking information and calling it fact or truth or whatever, and not thinking on it on my own. And that's been a lifelong learning process for me. So with the Bible, it really wasn't similarly to you, like until seminary where I really had to think, oh, maybe the creation story of seven days, it wasn't a literal seven days or maybe Jonah. I mean, the Jonah story was a little earlier. I think I finally figured out like maybe there wasn't really a whale. I don't know, but I didn't ask those questions. I didn't learn—I didn't know to ask those questions until much later. And then I got to seminary and I was like, why has no one brought this up? And, like, I grew up the minister of two—two ministers. I grew up this daughter of two ministers who both have had this journey themselves. And theirs was later in life because of just the way that they grew up and the time they grew up. But And they've really guided me in this process also of kind of— the classic seminary terms of deconstructing and reconstructing your yes. faith, but also my theology of scripture too, my view of that. And so I think I've had, you know, I, I grew up like trying the, um, read the Bible in 365 days. Yeah. You know, I had the whole calendar, whatever, never made it all the way through, like, you know, gave up in Leviticus. I or ask, whatever to even make it through <laughs> <No>. Leviticus? <laughs> I like Nobody restarted does. it like five <laughs> times. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having to figure out a new way to read the Bible in that even sense of, like, I'm not going to be able to read all the way through um, like that for me. But mm-hmm. trying to, you know, having to shift my brain from being a tr- having a transactional relationship with the Bible truly to, really to having one that's more engaging and asking those questions. And those were things that I didn't understand. And honestly, I'm still figuring it out. And being, the, being a youth minister now here at Greystone, We're we're actually asking these questions with the youth, and that's kind of we've kind of gone back over the basics with them also, Um, and it's challenged me of right now where I am with the Bible. of I'm having to kind of still relearn these things, and you know challenge my relationship with the Bible, also I'm having to. And this is kind of foreshadowing the rest of our conversation, but this has been a really apparent conversation for me in the past year of what I'm having to teach teenagers to do. Because, you know, I'm wanting them to be able to explore the Bible and their faith in the ways that I didn't get to Um, now that we're learning these things now as adults, um, and helping them have these conversations earlier than I did about what is scripture and how we, how do we engage with the Bible and what does that mean for our relationships with God? And so I think where I am with the Bible right now, you know, I'm still kind of in that phase of figuring out fully what I believe about it, but I do think I've, it's totally different from where I was 15 years ago, 10 years ago, oh, yeah. even even five years ago, like it's flipped night and day. Yeah. Um But like you said, like, it's something that I think I truly am seeking in a new way, in a fresh way. Yeah. Even if it's not necessarily the way that I was always taught or the way that I was told that I had to read scripture. And so, and that's, that's challenging. There's some, there's some um, kind of, I don't know, heartache in that in a way. Because it's like, you know, you, all these years of Sunday school and Bible, all these VBS and all these things, you were told these one things. And then it's like realizing, you mean... These stories that I was told and the, what I believed about those stories may not be the way that I believe about them now or the things that I think about them or I read them in a different way. Right. So having to like retrain my brain to understand those things. Oh, for sure. It's difficult, but, but it's also comforting in a way, like you said.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember like you talk about it being heartbreaking and like disappointing. And I remember one of the overwhelming feelings, the first part of seminary divinity school, um, that journey was like hearing... Hearing the the history of like how we got the Bible, yeah. like how did it come to be? Um, because like Jesus did not stitch together pages <laughs> of papyrus, right? Yeah. Like and and understand like like that just did not happen in Jesus's life on this earth, yeah. and so that means there's a whole history of how how we went from creation to canonization mm-hmm. that was not taught in churches, and the heartbreak for me was that. It felt like everyone I loved and trusted was holding out on me, yeah. like they were there for the beginning to teach the stories, which is the you know our brains cannot fathom like a metaphor and um and and all the things that adult brains can handle like a five year old mm-hmm. cannot process that, so to learn the stories is a good thing, and the churches do a really good job of that generally, but when the questions come, it's like oh we, we we're not we're not we're not here for that right now, so yeah. so there's this gap um and then it's kind of no wonder that people don't come back to the Bible, um, because the churches that have taught them the stories are not there for those moments of um, deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And we certainly are not prepared to help reconstruct. So anyway, for me, that moment happened when I started learning about the history of how the Bible came to be. And I think as we think about our conversation today, focusing on what is the Bible, you know, there's some history that mm-hmm. we need to cover. And so like, what if we just kind of launch in? I mean, you've been doing with this with the youth, so so bring us along bring us along the journey.
0: Yeah, we started six months ago talking, like, what is the Bible? Where did it come from? How do we read it? And, you know, I think when I realized and was told, like, you know, the Bible you're holding in your hand that you read, the paper copy you're holding has not been around for thousands of years, right. <laughs> um, like, and realized these stories that were originally told were told verbally like they were oral traditions passed down through generations for over thousands of years like that was an eye-opening like even just that is like hard to believe and like Mm -hmm. hard to comprehend right um in the same way that we tell stories now like they were passed down through people groups and through um traditions and that was i mean just that point blank of like recognizing like the words um that we hold in our hands on Sunday mornings or on our phones and scroll through, um, have not always been in print, you know? that's right. Um, and so recognizing having to learn the process in the history of the Bible, I mean, it was composed, um, all the way from 900 to 200 BC through oral tradition, through writing, through editing phases. Like it, it's gone, you know, from copies of scrolls and You know, they didn't have printing presses all the way back then. So they couldn't, to copy it, you had to copy it by hand. Right. And so there were scribes who had to, you know, go from one book to the other, and they didn't keep them all in the same place, and they, you know, people couldn't read back then. Like, they had, only certain people could, and um, all those kinds of things. And so when we think about the history of Scripture— and how the canon came to be. You know, we talk about the canon, and I don't know if you want to talk about what that is, because that, yeah, that's... Yeah, we a, need to define yeah. that term. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a seminary where that not everybody knows, um, yeah. and I didn't know for sure what that meant. Um, do you want to kind of explain what? Yeah, where canon came from?
1: Yeah, so when we talk about canonization, um, what we're talking about is like, how did the collection of books that we have now that we call the Bible become that collection of books, which is called the Bible? Um, and there was a long process um, getting to that point. And in fact, it wasn't until 451 Council of Chalcedon um when this you know group of, of religious leaders in the Roman Catholic Church came together and said yes we agreed these this is this is the official collection of of books letters um stories, that we affirm are inspired by God and that are meaningful for the Christian churches. Um, And so that, I mean, in a nutshell, in in layman's terms, like that's kind of what we mean when we talk about canonization or the canon. Um, I think it's important to remember that we have two different versions of canon in Christianity today. There is um, the Catholic version, just to be you know, use broad strokes, and then the Protestant version. Um, And, of course, the Catholic version includes a section of books in the middle called the Apocrypha, which if you grew up Southern Baptist, that wouldn't be in your Bible. Um, And it's not in any of my Bibles except for the New Oxford Annotated, which is one of the ones in the stack. Uh, But we just, um, most of us have uh, the Protestant Bible, which has the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, um, and the New Testament, uh, which, of course, is Gospels and Epistles. Um, So, and Revelation. Uh, But that's what we're talking about when we talk about the canon, um, and canonization would be the process of collecting the books um, and over many different gatherings of bishops, uh, many different um, kind of councils of of ancient church leaders deciding, uh, you know, which books are helpful in their context, which ones they felt um, told the story of God's work in human history, um, and, and which ones would be helpful to kind of to curate and to pass down as a collection of stories,
0: yeah, and recognizing that there were there are things a part of that process, writings a part of that process that didn't make it in the Bible. In right. the Bible, um, that you know there are other writings from that time from those time periods that were part of that, and you know, like you said, like some show up in the Apocrypha and some don't. Some are just out there kind of on their own too, um, but they, you know, with canonization, figuring out like what for many, was authoritative, but also what was used in worship. And Mm -hmm. we're all early Christians reading these texts and other things like that, um, trying to figure out from all the different writings that existed what – Would be a part of the Bible that they continue to pass down for generations. Interesting Um, to note, if I can interrupt just for a second,
1: as two women are sitting here talking about canonization, um, this conversation would not have happened. When (laughs) when when the Bible was being you know pulled together, um, when we would not have been invited to to the decision making tables. Um, In fact, there are gospels and other um, inspired stories that may have been penned by women. Um, You'll notice they did not make the final cut. And so I just think it's important to remember you know, while I believe that God was at work in the process of canonization, and, I, and as I've already said, I love the Bible, um, I do also just as a woman, have to say you know that women were completely left out of this process yeah. by nature of the society and the ancient world. Um, but I'm grateful that we get to critique it now <laughs> from 2023 it's two women talking about the Bible
0: Yeah and through the, after the official canonization process we also have to remember that since then i mean that was thousands of years ago in itself right? <laughs> um there have been not only um different interpretations of scripture but different translations and you know our bible has whether we like to think about that or not it's kind of it, it's shifted in ways it's um it's had to adapt to the different translations and who's you know, translated these Greek and Hebrew words into this English word or this, like, whatever other language there are. There have been so many different versions of the Bible mm-hmm. since then. Um, you know, a lot of times we talk about whether could there be mistakes in the Bible. And that's a big conversation we've had with youth recently is recognizing, you know, some people take the Bible to be a literal, like, inerrant like there couldn't be a mistake God wrote the Bible and but then we also had to organize, well humans write it down by hand <laughs> there were a big part like God trusted people to write it um, that doesn't mean that it's not the word of God um, that's right but you know people were physically writing this down <laughs> and you know when you're copying scrolls over and over and over again you're going to probably mess up here and there. or you're. Gonna... <laughs> well, I mean, and just to think about, like, nuances
1: of the ancient language, right? Like, mm-hmm. Hebrew does not include vowels. Yeah. Nor does it include punctuation. Nor does yes. it include, like, a delineation between when a chapter starts and stops. Yeah, and that all came much later. And that all came much <laughs> later. And so we've got layers of history built upon original text built upon layers of oral tradition. And also one of the pieces that I lament that Christians don't have in the same way that our, that our Jewish sisters and brothers have is the rabbinical conversation. Yeah. So throughout all of, of the history of the Hebrew Bible, there's an ongoing conversation between the rabbis that is about interpretation, like anecdotal stories, AKA sermon illustrations, like mm-hmm. things like that, which really bring the text to life and show that people have been debating not only the contents, but also the meaning of
0: the text from its inception. Yeah, definitely. And I think also in part of this conversation, recognizing that we don't have original manuscripts of the Bible. Like, yes, we're talking about the way that they wrote it and the way that they passed it down. But like we have thousands of manuscripts, but not from... Like, and we have fragments of those, but they're not, none of them are originals. So like, we can't be for certain that, you know, this is exactly what the original one said. Um, and we have pieces of them here and there. We don't, there's some people would quantify that there are over 300,000 discrepancies in the manuscripts even. And yeah. like, that's a lot of different, <laughs> that's hard to kind of grasp and understand. It's like, okay, well, if there are these potential, um, conflicts or, um, I don't want to say errors necessarily, but like, you know, they like recognizing, okay, well, if there are these potential things that could be wrong or that we could have messed up or someone translated differently than another person or interpreted differently, like, what do we do with the Bible then? Like, what is it? Um, in realizing that in the process of like, yes, there have been different translations and interpretations, for the past two thousand years, but we're still doing that now. Like there right. are still people interpret like we interpret scripture. I interpret scripture differently than you interpret scripture, right. and everyone. That's the active process of how we engage with the Bible. But there's even new translations happening all the time. That's right. Um, as languages language adapts and all the all those kinds of things, mm. as well, um, which is important to recognize too. That's right. Um, And then you know we we talked about how the fact that for most of this time frame there haven't. Been printed copies of Bible of the Bible because you know the printing press didn't happen until like the was it fourteen fifty seven or something, something Is like, like the Gutenberg Bible? Yeah, so you know like it's and that's in the much more modern than we think it to be. Like right. you know like from majority of the time of Scripture existing, like it hasn't been passed around. Like people,
1: yeah, it hasn't been in, in homes. <laughs> no. Right, there haven't been family Bibles that no. didn't happen until fifteen seventeen.
0: Yes, that's correct. With with the Reformation.
1: And then think about the time that it took to get Bibles in homes, you know, so that people could actually read. So for Mm -hmm. most of Christian history and most of religious history, you know, if if you want to start our our history in the garden, right, or with, with the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, then for most of our history, the text was not in the hands of the people. Mm -hmm. The text was in the hands of the religious leaders um, with those who had a specific education around it. Um, Sometimes when we say religious leaders, we all think about Pharisees and Sadducees and you know, like they're the bad guys. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, that's not what I'm saying, but can you imagine being a member of this church and we had one copy of all the texts that we were using, right? And maybe they weren't even all bound together, but we had one copy and the only time that we had to parse it out together was when like Annabeth or I was leading a church-wide Bible study. Yeah. So that's really more I don't know. I, that just blows my mind to think about. Like to it, to lead to to be in a room where there was only one copy and where it's mm-hmm. not something that we can all wrestle with on our own.
0: Yeah, like you couldn't, you know, have your Morning, quiet time reading your Bible in your own home and, you know, interpreting passages where you felt like you wouldn't be able to highlight all the passages you did, you know, like (laughs) she's making fun of
1: me because one of my, uh, well, two, three of my Bibles, all the ones that I brought have highlights and scribbles and notes and whatnot.
0: I'm sure mine do too. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like, so, okay, if we're learning how, how the Bible came to be, how it was passed down, how it was written, all those things, what is the, like, what do we do with it now? Like. I think for me, I've had to, like I said earlier, I had such a small view, honestly, of what the Bible was of being, you know, a moral code to Mm -hmm. how to live our life and not just a moral code, but that was a big part of it for me. Like I've always been a rule follower. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I see a lot of like, yes, no do's don'ts kinds of things of life and that often is how the Bible kind of gets used, especially in some of yeah. the circles that we've grown up with. And it's it's been seen often as a how-to book. You know, like one of the most Googled questions is like, what does the Bible say about blank? Yep. You know, like, and then it pulls up a verse about what does the Bible say about, I don't know, like, like any of life's questions that you have. Like yeah. that's typically how people use it. They look for what questions they have. And I I mean I'm guilty of that at times too. Yeah. Um but yeah. I've seen like I think I got I've gotten stuck in it being a rule book or like an owner's manual or something or like yeah. a textbook even. Like yeah. in seminary, like we have a very academic view of scripture. Yep. Um, yeah. So um we're reading learning, it. it is like your a textbook. Textbook. Yeah. Yep. And so exactly. I think I've I'm even coming out of that now of yeah. like, okay, after three years of seminary, like how do I read the Bible again? Mm. Yeah. Gosh. In, in addition work. to that as a you know. That's right. Um and learning like maybe the bible is a book of wisdom in a totally different way than what i've grown up mm-hmm. understanding it to be. Mhm.
1: You know, one of the things that i think is really important to just name like as we're talking about the bible as a as a moral code or as a like um, as a cut and dry how to guide for christian living or faithful living um, one of the things that I certainly was guilty of when that is how I approached the Bible, how I was approaching the Bible, um, was like I always knew that I think it's in Leviticus where it says that we can't eat a lot, at least you know purity codes around what you can and can't eat. Mm-hmm. And clearly you cannot eat shrimp. <laughs> yeah. right? Well, like, I've never not eaten mm-hmm. shrimp. <laughs> I like, grew up in the southeast. like we eat shrimp a lot here. and um, and so I always knew, even though I didn't know, that that one didn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. And yet, I still, really had to wrestle with some of the moral codes in the Bible that never applied to me. Yeah, Like things about what men could and couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Like those were never up for debate because I didn't have to wrestle with them, you know? Mm -hmm. And I could apply them onto other people and then apply my judgments with them. And so as we're thinking about like how we're reading the Bible and what we're doing with it, um, I think it's really important to make sure that however we're reading it, not only applies to how we're interpreting it for our own life, but the judgments that we might feel we can place onto the lives of other people. Um, Because it's very easy to like the rules that make their life harder and not the ones that make our life harder. Um, Anyway, I just, I just wanted to say that. Well, and
0: one of the questions that you had about this is like how, and this kind of came up based on one of your Shermans a couple of weeks ago is like, okay, so that example of like, okay, we have these rules in Leviticus, like, and most of us have not listened to them. But then we have these things in the New Testament, like that, or other rules throughout all of scripture that we do listen to. It's like, how do we know whether to take some literally and some not? Like, how do we know to follow this set of rules, but not this other one? Like, there's a lot of discrepancies there that exist in scripture itself, but then in our interpretations too. Like, what do we do that? How do we, do we take parts of the Bible literally and others that we don't? Like, what is, what do we do with that? Well, you know, I think a lot of that, uh, uh,
1: some of this is solved by thinking about genre. Mm -hmm. Like when we go to the Bible, it's not like we're reading, um, it's not like we're reading Harry Potter book one through seven. Like it's, we know the genre of Harry Potter, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we know the intent and we know that like, we know that like the rules for Quidditch are not to be, you know, like taken and applied to our everyday lives. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's completely nonsensical. It's a totally different world that Harry Potter is in than the world that we live in. Would be fun, though. Yeah, I mean, it might be, but (laughs) (laughs) it would be fun. But, like, uh, so, yeah, so so I think when when we come to the Bible to remember that this is a collection of 66 different writings. Yeah. Some would say more, depending on how you deal with Isaiah. But, like, you know, there are different writings with different authors during different time periods about different things written for specific communities, all different from each other, Mm -hmm. with specific ends in mind. Um, And so, like, for example... um, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are two kind of apocryphal writings, right? And so they're to be read with a different interpretive lens than, say, the Gospels, which are written to tell the good news, to tell the story of Jesus. So we know that we read them differently. Um, same with the first five books of the Bible, specifically those on law. Um, they are written as law for a specific group of people um, with whom the relationship between God and the people Was particular and unique. And so to take that and to transpose it onto, you know, 21st century United States, um, it it requires some help, right? Like it's not a one to one. Yeah. Um, Like
0: the Bible's not telling us, like, how often we're supposed to use our phones or not. Like, right. They they didn't know phones were at the, you know. Like,
1: for example, (laughs) this messes with our minds, but like to remember that Jesus lived in a world in which everyone thought the world was flat. Yeah. Like just think about yeah. that for a minute. There's no, there's not even electricity. Like we don't know that women have brains yet. Like we're, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the world is very different. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to think about those things when
0: we go to the Bible yeah. for they weren't writing for 2023. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think recognizing context for in, in everything you're reading. I mean, that's part of how you read scripture. Yes, is understanding who might have wrote, who might have written what you're reading who might have been written for, um, the, the world they were living in and then the genre of the writing itself are all big key takeaways. And, you know, we learn those things in in an academic setting also, but even in our church settings, like recognize, like we have to come to the text with these things too. And that may seem overwhelming. I think for me, like, and for many, like if you're not just taking the stories at face value, but you're digging into these stories in a, in a deeper way and asking these questions of what was the original intent? Like what, why, why was this being written in the first place mm-hmm. or, and you know, you got to do some homework there and it's a little scary and a little hard to do. Um, but that's a big piece of like understanding truly what these stories are about. Um, that's right in a different way and it's not to say like we've we've kind of
1: distinguished between devotional reading and academic reading right of the Bible so academic would be we're going back and doing our homework to understand all of this stuff um from a from a purely academic perspective so the Bible is our textbook and we're studying Christian history etc um but then the devotional way to read the Bible, which doesn't mean you check your brain at the door, yeah. but it means you're approaching the text with a different set of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, questions more like, how is God speaking to me through these words? Mm-hmm. Recognizing they are ancient words. Recognizing they have been affirmed over the centuries th- through the church. Recognizing they come to life in our lives in different ways, carrying both baggage and promise. And so what is it that God is telling me today through these words? That's a devotional. Those are devotional questions. Yeah. and. We can all read the Bible without having to memorize its history. You know, I, I have not memorized the history oh, me of all the books of the Bible. <laughs> um,
0: so I, I don't want people to be intimidated by that. Yeah. And I think and those two things don't—they don't have to be separated, and they can be together, too. Like, I think, um, like, there are many—there are lots of tools out there for us to read Scripture. And mm. it's—we don't have to rely on our own knowledge, and we don't have to rely— on purely, you know, commentaries or mm. devotional, like all those things can be interactive with each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even though like I did say that, like the Bible was a textbook for me for three years and mm-hmm. picking that up devotionally, was really hard in the midst of all of that. Mm-hmm. So now I'm having to kind of find the balance of those two things now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still so much, like you said, like, but I don't know, or don't remember new inter. Things that, even though I learned them in seminary, I may see in a new way. Yeah. Um, So I think learning how to read the Bible, I think it's in itself a very, like a lifelong learning process. That's right. And learning how to engage with it. One thing I wanted to share is Mm -hmm. um, with the youth that we've kind of been asking. So we are now diving into like different stories of scripture and main themes of scripture. um, Now that we've kind of talked about what the Bible is, but at the end of every single passage that we read or story that we read we ask these four questions we ask and these come from pete ends in his book um or in his work of um he has a podcast himself called the bible for normal people asking what is the bible so we ask what is the bible doing not just what it's saying who is god what has god done and who are we Mm -hmm. And i think that's helped me um even though yes i we've sat through the like these Old Testament, New Testament classes and learn the hard, um, history and all the things like those four questions have been so life-changing for me now approaching scripture of understanding that, you know, the Bible, every person and every group of people are writing these texts and reading these texts had the same questions of who they were. They were trying to, uh, they were trying to understand who God was and Mm -hmm. who they were in the world and what God has done for them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, these questions have been asked for a really long time. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it was a part of the writing process then it was a part of the way that they were learning them. Um, and it's part of how we're learning in scripture also. And so those are kind of the four things that we have been asking as a youth group, but I think it's pretty applicable to us. I mean, just as a church and uh, as
1: human beings who love the Bible.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, even though they they seem like four basic questions, it's really reframed my own understanding and given me a fresh perspective of scripture. Um, And it's not necessarily asking for yes/no answers, right/wrong, do's and don'ts. Like it's it's framing it in a new way. That's they're harder questions in a way, but I think they're more Mm life-giving, and they're helping me understand. Like, okay, what do we do with this ancient text from thousands of years ago? And maybe these are the questions we need to be asking for to understand how we relate to it now. Yeah, like it's not. The, this frames it in a more helpful way than asking, okay, well, what about this specific situation such as, I don't know, the pandemic or something recent. Like obviously they weren't writing about the pandemic back then. Like they didn't know that would be a thing. Um but like asking these questions can kind of give light to the things we're experiencing now, even though those texts weren't written for us That's like right. explicitly today.
1: That's right. You know, one of the things that this brings up for me is you know we spent several weeks, seven weeks in uh between Epiphany and Lent. Um, reading Matthew's Gospel specifically, and reading in order um, several texts from Matthew's Gospel. And um, in, in Divinity School, we learn about the synoptic Gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, mm-hmm. and Luke, those that tell the same story, right? Um And we learn about the different characteristics of the authors and like kind of where they're going and themes that you can see woven through the gospels. But like, if we were to put Matthew's gospel through Pete N's questions, you know, his Bible for normal people questions, what is the Bible doing? Who is God? What has God done? And who are we? Then all of a sudden, some of the texts in Matthew that we typically like kind of throw away, like for example, the whole first chapter, (laughs) the genealogy, like not many of us would read that for a devotional mm-hmm. for a devotional material. But if we can understand what the Bible is doing, like what what the what Matthew is doing and setting up the entire story of the good news of Jesus Christ who is God incarnate by these ge- generations set in numbers of 14, you know, and like paying attention to the people that Matthew chose to include there and who are not included there all to get us to Joseph, who is not the, the biological parent of Jesus. Like, yeah. wow, <laughs> the Bible is doing something there, yes. you know, and I would miss it if mm-hmm. I didn't know that question. And so, like, then who is God and what has God done and who are we? Those are really significant questions that help us deal with you can't eat shrimp, you can't mm-hmm. talk in church, you better cover your hair. Yeah,
0: no gold earrings, you know, as you're wearing them now. Man, as I'm wearing them right now. Them right oh. now. Oh. <laughs> Obviously, I need to spend more time in the Bible. Yeah, I think, I think recognizing also, like, the whole biblical narrative, like what even is the point of scripture? Like, mm-hmm. what do we do from beginning to end? Like, why are we these included and framing these questions in that light too. And anytime you read a specific passage, not just, you know, proof texting and pulling out what you need to, mm-hmm. but putting it in the bigger narrative of what God's been doing in the world and what God is continuing to do in the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That, that's for me is like how I want to faithfully read the Bible now.
1: Yes. I mean, those are the, the questions of a theologian, right? And um, uh, one of the things that this brings up for me is like, the questions that I have when I read the text are like, what does this say about God? What does this say about Jesus? What does this say about the Holy Spirit? What does this say about me? What does it say about us? Mm-hmm. And like those questions are interwoven with yeah. Peter and questions. Um, but they're helpful and productive and really hard to answer. And so they keep like at the very beginning, just to come full circle in this um, in this conversation, they keep us coming back to wrestling with the text. Yeah. Um, and that I think is the most beautiful gift that the Bible has to give us.
0: Yeah. I think through all this, like realizing that it's okay to seek the honest questions we have about scripture and about life and about all the things and So often in church life, like coming with your questions and your doubts is not okay. (laughs) And so we're hoping that through this journey and through this season of Lent, as we are seeking these honest questions um, together here at our church during this Lent season, but also here on the podcast. Um... We, it's it's gonna it's a journey. It's not like we, Christy and I, don't have everything figured out. We don't have all the answers. You may think we do, <laughs> but we don't. No, we have so many questions ourselves. That's how I start youth every week. Is I say, okay, we're gonna ask questions, and I'm not gonna give you answers because mm-hmm. I don't have them all. Yeah. I don't have many. You know, there's things that I still am learning alongside of them, and um, even here at church. And as we're journeying through this, I think right, re- like starting point blank, like bring your questions, bring what you're seeking. Um, we may not have answers, but we'll at least wrestle with them together and we'll discuss them and engage with them in a way that is life-giving for all of us in a way that seeks to grow closer to God and to be more faithful with this text that we have been given. That's right. Well,
1: I am really excited about, um, I mean, I feel like we could sit here and talk about the Bible all day long. Um, (laughs) But that would be very boring uh, for others, not <laughs> yeah. for us. But I'm really, really excited about the opportunity to to wrestle with these really important questions of faith, our honest questions.
0: And so I'm just excited for this and um, can't wait for next time. Yeah, so we hope you'll join us next week as we continue asking um, honest questions in this theme of seeking um, it was good to be with you today, even virtually, and to have conversation with you, Chrissy, and we hope you'll join us again next week.
1: Sounds good. We will bring God's reign here,
0: and in the love of Christ be led, doing the Word, making it heard. And all are welcome here, come to the table. you are, here you will never be alone, in the glory of God we're building a church of living so